You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday at 9 a.m. for small groups, 10 a.m. for worship, or anytime at asburybosier.org. It's good to be with you today as we continue our series, uh, Experiencing Christmas, recognizing that in Christmas, the, in the incarnation is what we call it, when God put on flesh, God now has eyes to see, ears to hear. And today we talk about taste, <laughs> maybe something that we might not think readily about in terms of the incarnation. Our scripture lesson today is from Psalm 34. It's the eighth verse. It'll be on the screen. It'll be online and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So during the pandemic, especially when things were shut down, uh, we were forced out of necessity to enter into kind of a different rhythm when it came to food uh, in our household. Uh, It's not that we never cooked before, but we were kind of forced to kind of figure things out. And look, as a family of six, when kids have a hundred things to do every day, it is much easier to go pick something up on the way to do the thing so that you can come home from doing the thing to then do bath time and bedtime and all the things, especially when, at least where we live, Sonic, Johnny's, Subway, McDonald's are all closer to us than the grocery store, right? So sometimes it's called survival, friends. Parenthood, in large part, especially this season, it's called survival. But during the pandemic, we had to kind of shift and have a different kind of rhythm. And through that, I fell in love with cooking. Uh, It became a lot of fun. It became a stress relief, like meal prep, doing all these things, really kind of diving into that. And I get that honest. Both of my parents uh, were not strangers to the kitchen. My my mother would cook uh, kind of Monday through Friday, and then my dad would cook uh, over the weekends, and both of them uh, uh, would, would, would create dishes that, that became my favorite, like my, my mother's manicotti. I would always ask for it every time uh, I went home. Uh, and I will say, uh, in front of God and everyone and the internet, my mother's beef and vegetable soup is the best beef and vegetable soup that anyone could ever have. It's delicious. Now, my father would cook over the weekends, and he would experiment and tinker and try new things. My dad is a chemist uh, and he said, cooking is chemistry you can eat. Like, so that was, that was kind of his mantra. He would, he would try new things and uh, a lot of things were born out of necessity. Uh, uh, one of my favorite dishes growing up that my dad would make, he called it pizza plops. Yeah, you heard that right. Pizza plops. It was a failed recipe because the, 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 the crust didn't set. Like, so it became like this pizza soup kind of thing. So he just called it pizza. It's called branding, friends. It's called branding. So he just like, it's pizza plops. It was on purpose. And of course we loved it, right? After that, he also made, um, he called them hot dogs from another planet because he was cooking hot dogs one day and we didn't have any hot dog buns, buns. So he took bread and like curled it up, put toothpicks in it and then covered it in cheese and you put it in the oven. And then when you take it out of the oven, take the toothpicks out, the bread stays right? So they look like spaceships, right? It's all branding, friends. It's all branding. You know, there, there are no um, um, uh, mistakes to just happy accidents, right? So, you know, hot dogs from space, space, space is what we had. Uh, and I, I learned a lot of this uh, from my dad because I too, now there's like the Monday through Friday cooking, right? So we, we have kind of this 
rhythm. You know, Monday is red beans, Tuesday is Taco Tuesdays, Wednesday is whatever Janet says we're going to have on Wednesdays uh, here at the church. Thursdays uh, is, is jambalaya or some kind of meat and then fish for Fridays. Thank you, South Louisiana. Always fish on Fridays and then Saturday is, is where you experiment and you tinker and you cook slowly and you try different things. And sometimes that can get annoying because sometimes Christy, my wife, will say like, you know, you don't have to experiment, right? You can, you can just make hamburgers like you did a couple weeks ago. No need to try to figure out how hamburgers taste with grapes in the middle. Like, it's okay. You can just cook a meal. Now, so we're talking about eating and taste and food. There's rhythm, this holy rhythm around the table. Now, I haven't always had this very healthy relationship with food. I've told this story before. Uh, when I was in college, uh, Christy's grandmother, uh, Mary Ann, got me a, a food dehydrator uh, for my birthday. Uh, and uh, it was great. I loved it. I made, because she knew I loved beef jerky, and I made beef jerky all the time. My roommates hated it because there, it would smell like a, a smokehouse, like all the time, right? Uh, well, one day I said, you know what? You know what you don't see in stores? Some of you have heard this story. Chicken jerky. You just don't see it. At least you didn't then. So what did I do? I took a pound of chicken tenders, raw, put them in the food dehydrator, and let them sit out for two and a half days. And then, <laughs> some of you know exactly where this is going. Uh, so uh, it was a Friday night. The food dehydrator was done. And I, I ate one of the chicken tenders, and it was delicious. It was so delicious that I ate the entire pound of raw chicken that was on the food dehydrator. Um, and about two and a half later, two, two and a half hours later, right, I, I think I met Jesus. I think Jesus showed up, and he looked me in the eye, and he said, you idiot. <laughs> so... Um, actually, like Christy, I called Christy. Christy came over to the apartment. I also called my mother, right? When you're sick, you call your mom, right? That's just what you do. I'm like, Mom, I feel terrible. I think I'm dying. And she goes, well, was it something you ate? I was like, no. I, it's probably a bug, you know. She, what, what did you eat? I was like, well, I ate a pound of chicken jerky. And then, now I tend to exaggerate. I'm a pastor. That's what we do, right? I'm not exaggerating. My mother, on the other end of the line, said, Chicken, chicken jerky? Son, that's natural selection trying to take you out of the gene pool. That was my mother's very compassionate response. And that's what she said. The, the secret to raising me was just to keep natural selection at bay long enough for me to have children. Right? That's just how that, that works. And she goes, go to the hospital. I'm like, mom, I can't. Bleh. Mom, I can't go to the hospital. Bleh. LSU is kicking off at 2.30 tomorrow. Bleh. I can't miss the game, you know. I missed the game. <laughs> so I, was, I don't think I was ever closer to death. Um, <laughs> not even kidding. In, in, growing up in the New Orleans area, we, we, we have a saying, right? Uh, some people uh, live to eat to live, and then there are those of us who live to eat, right? Uh, and that's so true, especially in South Louisiana and in New Orleans, there's this beautiful culture around. There's no such thing as like church and culture, like everything. Our churches have culture. Food is such a huge part of our culture and the way that we express ourselves. God offers the raw ingredients and what we cook up is culture, especially in that beautiful city, right? There's Creole, there's 
Cajun, there's Latin American, there's Caribbean. It's just this beautiful mixture of unique food. And, and everywhere has kind of this unique connection uh, uh, to food. I'm fascinated. Like, for example, in North Carolina, this is fantastic. There's a correlation between food and accent. Uh, and, and, and this is really apparent in North Carolina because you have two flavors of barbecue if you've ever been to North Carolina. Like, don't mess this up, right? It's just as bad as like Duke and UNC. Like, don't mix those up, right? There is Eastern North Carolina barbecue, which is vinegar-based. And interestingly, in East North Carolina, they don't pronounce the letter R, right? You have vinegar-based barbecue in Eastern North Carolina, right? In Western North Carolina, you have tomato-based barbecue, and don't you forget it, right? Very hard R's in North Carolina and with their barbecue, right? There's this beautiful, interesting correlation between culture and food. It is the way that we express ourselves. And I imagine if I went and asked every person in here, there you have some kind of favorite dish. You have something that has been passed on to you. Uh, you have a recipe that is unique to your family. It is this beautiful, very intimate expression of who you are. Uh, maybe there's something that it, if you take just one taste of it, it transports you back to another place. Like that beautiful, uh, uh, it's like one of the last scenes in Disney's Ratatouille. Have you seen that where Anton Ego is uh, this food critic and he comes to uh, Gusto's uh, and, he, and uh, uh, I will eat whatever the chef dares to serve me and they make him ratatouille and they're like what are you doing that's a peasant's dish right and he takes one bite of it and he is immediately transported back to his his uh childhood kitchen and you can see like he had fallen off of his bike and his mother soothed his wounds his mother nourished him by offering this very simple dish that probably she knew how to make and knew how to make in a unique way she nourished him through food. And of course he drops his pin and he has this revelation and wants to meet the chef and the chef happens to be a rat. So it's shut down because of health code violations and you know, thus ends uh, the story. Um, food, you know, this is a fun question. Uh, and, well, maybe a silly question, but I think it's fun. What do you suppose was Jesus's favorite meal? Have you considered that? What would Jesus' favorite meal be? Interestingly, Scripture doesn't tell us a whole lot about what Jesus ate. It tells us a lot about how Jesus ate, right? Jesus ate with saint and sinner, with Pharisees. Jesus uh, uh, participated in the Passover meal. Uh, Jesus was always eating with people. Jesus fed 5,000 people with seemingly <clears throat> nothing. Jesus And he cooked. Jesus cooked. Right? In John chapter 21, it is a sign that it was Jesus on the lakeshore. When Peter gets out of the boat and he swims to the, to the lakeshore and the disciples bring in the catch, Jesus is preparing breakfast <clears throat> and he invites them to bring the fish in and he's going to cook it for them. It was a sign that, that, that they were in the present. And I love, it's, a, it's actually a kind of a funny scripture. It says, they knew it was Jesus and they dared not ask if it was him, right? They, they, they just kind of knew it was Jesus. And the reason they knew it was Jesus because he wasn't waiting to be served. He was serving them and they knew it was Christ. So interesting when scripture doesn't tell us something, I would love to know like Jesus's favorite food was, you know, cheese fondue or something like that. That'd be amazing. Like to incorporate that into our worship. It doesn't tell us when scripture is silent. One of three things is happening. 
<clears throat> either it's obvious and it doesn't need to be said, or uh, it wasn't important and Jesus therefore didn't comment on it at all, or it was, it was omitted from the story eventually. We don't know a whole lot of what, we know that Jesus ate lamb, we know that Jesus ate fish, but it, it's humbling and it's, because sometimes you know, king of king, lord of lords, and, and he shall reign forever and ever. It's so interesting to think about Jesus like eating grape leaves and eating hummus, and because you might imagine and assume that it was a Mediterranean diet. In other words, we have this, this picture of Jesus, the divine, down, fully divine. Yes, sometimes we forget that Jesus was fully human, <clears throat> wandering around the Sea of Galilee, eating pita bread, right, uh, feta cheese, these, these kinds of things. What, what do you suppose was Jesus's favorite dish? If Jesus came to you today and said, hey, let's do dinner, how would you respond? Are you cooking at home? Uh, are you uh, doing, are you going to two Johns, <laughs> right? You're going to, um, uh, are you going to find a food truck and eat in downtown Shreveport or how would you treat Jesus to dinner? And then recognize how many times has the Holy Spirit done just that and you were not aware. How many times has the Holy Spirit asked you to stop, pay attention, listen, notice the people around the table, slow down? Breaking bread with one another is holy. To nourish one another is holy. To spend time around the table with the people that we love. And God forbid we open up our lives and our tables to people that we don't. As a means of still recognizing our shared humanity. And feeding one another. We cannot survive without food. I would also argue that we cannot survive without each other. We cannot survive without food. We also cannot survive without each other. Humans are built for humans. <laughs> we are built for community. Even the act of eating, it's not just you that's involved in that. From farm to table, lots of people are involved in the simplest of meals that we have. We never, in a way, we never eat alone. We're not quite sure what Jesus ate, but we, we do know how Jesus ate, right? Jesus ate with saints and sinners and in homes and feeding thousands of people and reclining. <clears throat> Interestingly, there, and, I, and I, I could be corrected on this, I, I, I might be wrong. There's no record of Jesus eating alone. Even in the wilderness, when Jesus broke his fast and said the angels attended to him, so there's never this, this sense that Jesus is like, hey, I'm just going to take this to go and I'm going to eat over here. And like, I understand that y'all are doing this like great Bible study on Hosea. Like I have things to do, so I'm going to just eat and run, right? There's never this sense that at least I don't think there is recorded ever that Jesus ate alone. And maybe that's the lesson today. That maybe we are built to always eat in the company of others. That food is an invitation. 
It's always an invitation to eat and to break bread with one another. From farm to table, no one truly eats alone. And I think, I think Christmas has been trying to communicate this for a long time. Thursday, I was struck, <laughs> I was struck by the Holy Spirit with a question that I had never pondered and never considered. And the reason being is because I'm a guy. Um, this is testament to, it's always, it's crucial. It's not just a good idea. It's crucial to get out of your own story sometimes. Not sometimes, as often as you can, right? And the reason I say this is I had never considered in the craziness of Christmas Eve, and for some of you, you're going to say like, duh, you know, the things that were not written in scripture, right? There, there are three things that happen. If it's not included in scripture, I, either it's just obvious and they don't need to comment on it, or secondly, it's not important, or third, it was omitted. I'm not sure what how this falls into, I don't know what, if this falls into one of those three categories, but it had never occurred to me in the craziness of Christmas Eve with angels and shepherds and relatives, because Jesus wasn't, wasn't born in a barn. Jesus was at a house, no room in the inn, right? They're still at a house. They're just in a different room. Uh, and so there were, there were people there and there were relatives there. And for the census through the craziness of that evening, at some point, Mary nursed Jesus. This holy moment, a first-time mother with a first-time, with a, an oldest child, that first nursing only happens once. And I, I, I can't and I won't begin to describe what, what that must be like. That connection between Mary and Jesus where she, in her own body, is sustaining him. Mary, with her body, nourished the one who nourishes us with his body. There's this beautiful, holy, intimate reciprocity of that first meal, Jesus' first meal. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Because Mary soothed him with her own self. I thought, surely there's a word for this, right? Surely there, it's like um, sometimes church, the, the church has really strange words for things to recognize, like uh, quasimodogenity. Have you heard that before? Of course not. You're Methodist. This is a very Lutheran thing, quasimodogenity, and it's the uh, Sunday after Easter. It is the story of Thomas, and quasimodogenity means like a newborn, right? We are reborn into resurrection. Uh, my father that was a big because my father grew up Lutheran. That was a big deal in the in the Lutheran tradition, uh, quasimodogenity. Uh, and I thought surely there's some kind of recognition or some kind of word that recognizes this first meal of Christ and how and how it's so very it feels like the Eucharist it feels like the Lord's prayer like the Lord's prayer uh, it feels like the Lord's supper right Jesus says uh, this is my body which is offered for you and 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 Mary offering her body for the nourishment of Jesus so I went to St Jude <laughs> up the road uh, they weren't answering the phones so I said okay well, I'll just get in the car and go. I'll do it old school I'll just get in the car and go and hang out with Father Carl. Uh, and, and, and we chatted for a bit, and I, I, I gave him this whole thing, like, what's the name of this? And is there an official Catholic teaching of this thing? And he goes, huh, no. <laughs> he goes, oh, I never, never really thought about that before. And uh, he goes, I should have. That's a really good idea. 
then he goes, who is this Protestant Yahoo up the road who is like teaching me of what should be a Catholic feast? And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Do you know what Thursday was in the Catholic tradition? You know what Thursday was? It was the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. It was the day that we, uh, we the Church Universal, recognizes Mary's conception. So there was something in the ether that day, something about the Holy Spirit that was telling me to stop, pay attention, move slowly in a story that is not yours. Stop. Listen. Sometimes breaking bread with one another needs to take time especially when we are invited into hearing a story that is not our own. Today we light the candle of love, and of course we do, because love takes time. Love is vulnerable. Love is intimate. And we were reminded in that first crazy night when God was born in the person of Jesus of how Mary, in her own person, nourished him and sustained him. And I've said this before, that part of the mystery of Christmas is that God had to rely on humanity in order to save humanity. And what I mean by that is God gave Jesus parents. And to me, that falls in the category of what a bozo idea, right? Shouldn't Jesus have like appeared as a 30-year-old, like ready to be in ministry, but instead we get this vulnerable, intimate baby that had to be fed, that had to be taught, that had to be, and I'll say it, probably put in time out once or twice. I'm the son of God. Well, I'll te- well okay. <laughs> I'll teach you to son of God. Go sit in the corner. God, it seems... It seems that God has more faith and trust in humanity than we have ever had in God. (laughs) For God to say, here is your Savior, Mary and Joseph, I will be with you. But good luck. (laughs) It seems that God has more faith in us than we have ever had in God. Love is vulnerable. Love is, what what did Paul say? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It's like weekend cooking, right? It takes, it takes time. You know, when we gather around um, the table, we do it every Sunday. We have these little touchstones in, in, in the life of the church that remind us of this open table. Right? We have Holy Communion. We also, like today, it's not an accident that we're having brunch today, friends. <laughs> that we are breaking, I say breaking bread, we're breaking pancakes uh, with each other. That Holy Table Fellowship, just to spend a moment with one another. During the course of the year, we have Wednesday night open tables uh, where there are discussions and, and, and food. And thank God for our meal team and, and the way that they foster that for us. And it's not that we are to come to church for these open table gatherings. We are come to church. We should come to church to be trained up so that we go out in the world and offer the same. Right? 
Don't wait to come to church to have an open table experience. This is the training ground. This is the practice squad. We are to come to worship to be trained up in order to open the table to our friends and our enemies in our life in that Monday through Friday cooking of our life. Here's the mystery. And friends, I don't, I don't, I don't know what, what, quite what, what to make sense of it yet. <laughs> so Jesus is sitting with the disciples. We call it the Last Supper, Lord's Supper. He's with them. He knows he's going to the cross. And he takes bread. He breaks the bread. And he says, this, this is my body which is broken for you. This is my body which is offered for you. Every time you eat of it, remember me. And he takes wine and says the same. This is, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is my blood that is poured out for you. Every time you drink it, remember me. This idea of Jesus' body nourishing us for the generations. Where do you think Jesus got that idea of a body nourishing another body? Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Could Jesus have learned this at a very, very early age? The importance of us nourishing each other. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.